Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well today. Uh, have the privilege of finishing up our Kingdom Submission series here. And uh, I just want to let you know that it's a privilege and an honor uh, just to preach God's Word. And I, I don't take that lightly. And um, in that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We just thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the privilege just to be able to come and gather together as family, as a church, as a, a body, a congregation, and be able to look at your word and hear what you want to speak to us individually about our part in this walk with you. We thank you that your heart is so good for us and that you are always for us. So I just pray that you would enlighten us today, Lord. Open up our eyes. Help us to see like you see so that we can love like you love. Pray that you fill us with your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. I too would like to thank all the men and women um, who have sacrificed their lives, their time, efforts, everything in order for us to live in such a wonderful country. You know, obviously our country is not perfect, but I do think that we live in the best country, hands down. And the biggest, the biggest greatness of that, right? Biggest privilege I see in that is that we have the ability to come and gather, but worship our God, worship our Lord, study His Word together, and and what a blessing, right? You know, and I have a, a father-in-law who was a Marine recon in uh, Vietnam, and of course it's a it's a tough subject to talk to him about different things that he's gone through, but the little bit that he has spoken to me on different stories. It's like just leaves your mouth dropped open, right? It's like you can't understand. As much as I want to relate and understand what he went through, it's just one of those things that you will never understand. So even though I can't relate, I am forever grateful for the men and women who have sacrificed their lives and put their lives on the line for what they believe for us, that we can live in a country and be able to walk and experience the things that we get to do in today. But... We've been studying here through the exile and hope and now in the kingdom submission about believers that are walking through tough times also. And when we read about them and when we hear about them, these are extraordinary situations, right? And although it's hard to really relate totally to what they went through and what they were going through, Peter or God through Peter has really been speaking some things to us and some life lessons through these different situations. Mainly how to live as followers in unfortunate circumstances. And although maybe we haven't had the unfortunate or extreme circumstances as them, we all go through things, don't we? We all have our faith tested. We all go through tough times. We all go through trials. So all these life lessons are definitely things for us to grasp a hold of and hear what God is speaking to us. But let's just look back on some of the topics we have covered through these last two Um, studies. One, that they are exiled, they're taken out of their home, moved to some foreign country, they're being persecuted, and we've talked about Nero and the extremes of his persecution, or he'd roll them up and they'd burn them for torches at their parties and gatherings. Um, There's historical writings that they would put animal skins on them and let lions loose to devour them. Just extreme persecution. And they haven't done anything wrong. They're suffering for doing good and being a Christian. And in this, Peter has been telling them and encouraging them, instructing them 
to live holy lives, right? So how do you do this? He says, focus on your salvation. Focus on what's to come and what God has already given you so that you can walk through this with a holy living in unfortunate circumstances, blameless to represent and resemble Christ's love for us. Sounds a little tough, doesn't it? And these are all virtues that we should admire and desire, isn't it? I mean, all of us as Christians want to be known as this Christian that lives this kind of life, right? That when we go through tough times, when we go through challenges, that we don't fold. Most admirable trait is someone who's willing to put their life on the line for what they believe, isn't it? That they don't just talk something they believe, but they actually walk it out. And they're willing to go through whatever to prove that what they believe matters. And it means something. You know, we read scriptures and we put them on our refrigerators and we have them on our wallpapers. And they sound good and we all want to be it, right? We all want to be like that tree planted by the water, don't we? We all want to be that house with which stands the storm, don't we? And we all want to be that seed planted in fertile soil that's going to produce a big crop. The question is, how do we get there? And today I would like us to focus on two things. I believe God is speaking to us as believers through Peter's epistle here. The first is the purpose in suffering and trials. You know, why does God allow us to go through suffering? Why does he allow these people to go through suffering? Why does he allow these trials in our lives? You know, a lot of times we think, wow, I'm saved. God's protection. That's what we pray. Everything is wonderful white picket fence. But it's not really scriptural, is it? But God has a purpose in why we go through these trials. And second, how do we walk through these suffering times? How do we walk through these tough times? It's not just physical ailments and and hurts and persecutions, but this is bigger. It's emotional things. It's um, just tough times in life. We all have these hiccups in life that we go through. I think the question that most people ask, I've heard over the years is why would a God of love allow his children, his followers, to suffer? Right? Isn't that tough questions that we get asked or we ask ourselves or we even question God? You know, when we look at being parents, we don't wish this on our kids, do we? It's like we don't, we don't pray or wish that our kids would go through tough times and suffer and hardships and all that. Right? We want to spoil our kids. We want to set them up for success. And when we see them struggling, most of us want to jump in and just do it for them, right? But I think there's something that we have to see. That God's love and His vision of love is deeper than ours. It's much bigger. It's on a much bigger perspective than the way we see love. And that's what we have to understand. If you look in Isaiah 55... It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. (laughs) God's ways are much bigger than ours, isn't it? A lot of things we can't understand, we just have to walk in faith and trust that His ways are better than ours. As hard as some things are to understand in our little human intellect, right? We have to trust that God knows best for us. His heart 
is for us, not against us. And, you know, God has a plan in persecution. He has a plan in trials. He has a plan in these hard times in our life. And I believe the enemy does also. But it's important for us as believers to walk in his truth and not believe the lie in the purpose of suffering and trials. Because this is a vulnerable place, isn't it? We're going through tough times. We've got these different thoughts and different feelings and all these things going through us. And our faith is being challenged and it's being tested to the ends. What are we going to do? I want us to look back on two scriptures that we look through in these, these series. First one is in Peter 1. I want you to see something. It says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, excuse me, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, your tested genuineness of your faith, it's going to happen. It's going to be tested. And then again in Peter 4, chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? Test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So bottom line, and we could see all through Scripture, God's saying your faith is going to be tested. This isn't a punishment. This is God's grace in your life. This is His purpose in your life. He's trying to perfect. He's trying to do something in you. We see here that God's going to allow suffering to test our faith as believers. That's a fact, right? God's purpose is to lead us to freedom. But we don't always see freedom and blessings as the same as God, right? I mean, most of us see freedom and blessings as healthiness, happiness, financial peace. But God sees it much different. God has a much bigger perspective of freedom and a much deeper thing that he is trying to do in us. And that is what I want us to see this morning as we look to close out this epistle. So let's go to the text where we're at and see how Peter concludes this epistle with his closing remarks. After all these wonderful things, this is how Peter closes closes it all out. We're going to start chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Basavanius, a faithful brother, as I regarded him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And what I named this sermon this morning is standing firm in God's grace because really that stood out to me. It says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So Peter is telling us to be faithful, to stand firm in his grace. So the question is, how can followers of this time that we've been reading about, these exiles, walk through these tough situations and walk in this holy living that God is telling them or, or instructing them on how to live. It's like they have these drastic situations that they're walking through. 
and succeeding and being faithful. But, you know, when I start driving down Martin Luther King and I'm in traffic and people start cutting me off, I want to lose my temper. Right? And the kids don't want to go to bed at, at night in the right time. And, you know, my young one's giving me a hard time. I'm wanting to lose it. But God is telling them to live holy lives in these tough situations. So when I measure myself up to these people, I start to realize that I haven't arrived yet, right? I still got a long ways to go. And in one aspect, it can almost make you feel like, wow, what's going on with me? Is something real in me? Am I missing something? Am I lacking something? I think we all are all lacking something, but I think maybe... That's not a weakness in us, but maybe that's the strength that we find to realize how much we still need Jesus every day. Because I think the perception is as the furthest you walk with Jesus or the farther you walk with him, and the more you mature, the less you have to depend on him. But any mature Christian knows that the more you walk with Jesus each day, the more you wake up knowing the need you have for him, right? so then I realized that maybe it's not such a bad thing that I still have a long ways to go. I believe one of the biggest dangers in our Christian walk is to get prideful and boastful, right? That we somehow are where we are because of something we have done or something we have achieved. And I really look at the biggest danger is our self-sufficiency. Is when we start to rely on ourselves and we start to get away from the grace of God and the power of God and we start to say, I got this, right? So that brings me to our first point today is that God's purpose in suffering is to purify the believer. So the question is, purify from what? From our self-reliance. You know, when I was in Florida for a few years, we were out in the country and got to experience some cool things over there. You know, it was a big farm and uh, they had some real old timers, we would call them, and they loved to do things the old fashioned way. So we would grow sugar cane. I don't know if any of you have ever grown uh, or made cane syrup before, but uh, what we would do is they didn't do it the total old fashioned way. They didn't have a horse or a mule going around straining it they would have a tractor with a pto and they would strain the cane through and the juice would get in the bucket they'd pump the bucket into these big cane syrup pots a lot of people have them as uh, flower gardens in their front yards now but they had these two big pots i mean they were they were really huge and they had these four really big burners underneath them and they would put all the juice in there uh, all the cane juice from from the cane and then they would turn these burners off and they would turn that heat up high And all of a sudden it would start boiling over and they'd put burlap sacks all around the outside to where it would just overflow into the burlap sacks. And what the heat would do was two things. For one, it would purify it, right? It would cook a lot of the water out of it and get it down to its purest form. But also it would bring all the bad trash to the top to filter out to those burlap sacks. And if you really look at how God uses trials and tribulations in our life, tough times, this is how. He turns the heat up a little bit, right? And the heat of our faith gets tested a little bit and it starts to purify us as believers. It starts to filter out all the things that he doesn't want in us. And it filters it out and gets us to our purest 
form. I want us to look at two mighty men of God today that went through this purifying work of God. First, I want us to look at the writer of this epistle, Peter. And of course, you could look at Peter's life, and of course, he, they always said he was the, the foot-shaped disciple, right? Because he would just blurt things out. You know, I, I personally like to relate with Peter because he didn't always do things right, but he learned from his mistakes, right? He fell forward. But when we look in Luke 22, this is the day before Jesus' crucifixion, and Jesus goes to, to Peter and he, he warns him. Starting in verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I mean, first of all, you look at Peter. I mean, does he realize who he's talking to here or who's talking to him? It's like if Jesus comes to you and says something's going to happen, guess what you should do? Fall on your knees and start begging for forgiveness and mercy and grace. But Peter actually kind of argues with him. Out of what? If you look at it, he says, no, Lord, I am ready. You know what that word I always signifies? A whole lot of pride, right? He said, don't worry, Jesus. Get behind me. I got this thing. We're going we're gonna to go. We're going to make it happen. Jesus says, no, Peter, you don't understand. You're about to deny me three times before the next day. But I think God allowed Peter to be sifted because he wanted to free him up of his self-reliance pride. He loved him enough to say, I'm going to let you walk through some things where we're going to sift this stuff out. We're going to turn the heat up a little bit. We're going to put you through this because I want to get you down to your purest form, Peter. I want you to be used, but we've got some work to do. And I think we all know the story that Peter got humiliated after the rooster crows because he wasn't willing to humble himself up, right? And I think that's the choices we have. Either we're going to get humbled or we're going to get humiliated. And the choice is ours, right? Whether we're going to surrender soon or later. But I think Peter had good intentions, right? I mean, he wasn't really after anything evil in our eyes. But he had good intentions. He wanted to be a strong disciple, a strong follower. But the fact is, his good intentions don't always breathe good fruit. Just because we can have good intentions and want to do good things, if we're pulling from the wrong source and we're not walking in God's grace and His righteousness, it's not going to produce anything good. And that's what Peter had to understand. If you move on in verse 61, it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You can just imagine how Peter probably felt walking away right there. It's like, what just happened, right? I was so zealous and motivated to do the right thing. And now I have walked away in disgrace, right? I have just let the Savior down that has been investing in in me all these years, these three years, and now my opportunity to be faithful and I failed, (laughs) right? 
He was relying on his self-pride in the midst of his persecution, but it just didn't turn out the way that he planned. But even though Peter made a terrible choice, Jesus was not done with him, was he? Jesus was looking at what he was going to become through these trials. He wasn't focused on his mistakes, but he was focused on his potential. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that we have a God like this. It doesn't give up on us when we just make mistakes or we, we, we fail when we have good intentions. But he says, I'm not done with you. We're going to perfect this thing. We're going to get this right. I'm not giving up on you. You know, and when, after Jesus' ascension or after his resurrection, he came back and Peter was one of the first ones that he came to, right? And look what he tells him in John 21. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young... You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. What's he telling? He's saying, Peter, it's not about you, man. He said, you got to let go of this ego, this pride. He said, you've done what you wanted to do out of your own strength for long enough. He said, but by the way you're going to glorify me is you're going to have to give your life up. You're going to have to give your own desires up. You have to give your pride, your ego, your self-reliance up. And when you do, I want you to strengthen your brothers, right? And out of this sifting and restoration came the validation that Peter needed to speak to these exiles that we've been teaching about, that we've been learning about. What an amazing sifting process, isn't it? We have a God that loves us in this capacity, that allows us to go through tough times because he sees the result more than the mistakes. And he's willing to let us walk through things in order to get where he wants us to be. Now let's look at another similar situation of a mighty man going through tough trials and sufferings. As we have Paul. And Paul had ministered to the Corinthian church, threw his heart out to him, poured it out, loved on him, cared for him. And all of a sudden, when he left, some uh, false teachers came in and started persuading uh, the believers. And they ended up turning on Paul or talking bad about him, attacking his character. And he felt hurt and betrayed. And here we are, a man of all mans, right? Paul, probably the most persecuted person ever other than Jesus on this earth. And he's pouring out his heart here in 2 Corinthians. And he's telling of how much it hurt him and how much it affected him. But look at what he says is the purpose of it. Chapter 12, verse 7 says, So to keep me from becoming what? Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So the purpose of the thorn was to keep Paul humble. It's like, Paul humble? Why did Paul really need to be humbled, right? This guy was like the humblest of all uh, humble people, if that's even a word. But... You know, Paul just had this revelation, you know, he's talking about a situation where he went up to the heavens and he had this revelation of heaven, whether in the body, out of the body or whatever. And he said, you know, I understand that if I start to walk in that and separate myself from people, then I'm going to elevate myself. Right. I mean, if you had a vision and you went up to heaven, wouldn't you think a little bit more spiritually of yourself than other people? He probably would. It's like (laughs) this is amazing. Right. But he understood that. God was doing something to keep him humble. Because if he started to get conceited or arrogant, it was going to affect his ability to minister. 
So God allowed this pain in Paul's life not as a punishment, but as a blessing. See, God knew best for Paul, and Paul understood that. He didn't like it, but he understood it. He accepted it as part of God's sifting process in his life. It's important for us to realize that any trials or sufferings in our life is God's way of perfecting us, right? It's God's way of sanctifying us as believers to become more Christ-like. Our feelings will always tell us different in the midst of the struggles, though, don't they? We get these thoughts and we start thinking, well, where's God at? Has he left me? Does he not love me? Did I do something so bad that he's forsaken me? Does he not care about me anymore? But his plan is to always sanctify the believers for his glory. Often the purpose is to keep us humble and realizing where our strength really comes from. It's important for us to grab a hold of truth in these situations because they are vulnerable. But now that we have established the purpose of realizing that we will go through suffering and trying times, as we as believers, we need to know how to walk through it, right? God doesn't just throw us out there and say, you're going to have tough times of testing faith, but not give us what it takes in order to walk through it. He is a good father. And I think the interesting thing here is that the purpose of suffering and trials is really the solution to suffering and trials. God wants to lavish his grace upon us. Let me say that again. God wants to lavish his grace upon us in these tough times. Our second point, Peter tells us, we are to stand firm in his grace. I think it's really important for us to see what this really means. That word stand firm, it means to abide, don't leave, persevere, stay put, stay grounded in what? In his grace. I think we also often look at that word abiding or standing firm as an action word, right? Something I have to do. I need to press in more. I need to pray more. I need to seek more. I need to worship more. I need to do all these things more so I will have more spiritual strength to walk through things. But it's not really what he's saying here. Something we have to do, it's not something we have to do, but it actually means to just not move. Don't leave. Stay planted. And what? In his grace. But when you look at that word grace, it's mentioned 155 times in the New Testament. And there's some different aspects of it. But for the majority of it, the general sense, it's favor bestowed by being unearned. Nothing that we can do to earn his grace. Grace is the power that transforms us. His grace is what changes us and makes us more Christ-like. Grace gives us the power to walk in his ways. These things that these people have been dealing with in exile um, lifestyle, God's grace and standing firm in it is what they needed to walk through it. God's grace is in everything good that we receive. We have grace in salvation, his saving grace. We have grace in sanctification and the changing of us to become more Christ-like. We have grace in perseverance to stand firm, and then we have grace to spend glory in eternal life with God. As believers, we have available grace for what? For everything in our lives. 
The fact is, is that we will be tested in our faith. But if we are grounded and abiding and standing firm in his grace, then these testing situations will only strengthen us, not destroy us. But grace is the necessary power, listen to this, to help us do what we cannot do for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of that grace. (laughs) You see, Paul understood where his strength and his weaknesses were. And I think it's important for us to see that too, because a lot of times when we try to find strength in our own selves, it's all that self-reliance, that self-pride. And it pushes the grace of God out of our lives. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. You know, so obviously, Peter didn't like this in his life, this thorn that he had. Three times he pleaded with the Lord. You see, he didn't kind of try to overcome it by his own strength. He cried out to the Lord three times. He went and he prayed to the Lord, please take this from me. And isn't that always our first prayer? We go through some tough times. It's like, pray for me that the Lord would just comfort me, that he would get this through. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I think we have to realize that that's not always God's answer in our lives. For Paul, it wasn't the answer. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to take it. He went three times and pleaded with him. But basically, God's answer was, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I have a bigger purpose in this than you can see. Trust me in this, Paul. And God didn't give him what he wanted, but he gave him what he needed. God gave him something better than what he wanted. He gave him grace to persevere through his thorn, through his tough situation. He said, I'm not going to take that thorn away, but I'm going to help you walk through it. In the midst of it, we will discover something special and worthy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. He says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. (laughs) What amazing truth here, isn't it? This is like the key answer to all of our struggles, all of our hard times here, is that when we start to realize what our weaknesses really are, then we can tap into God's glory. We can tap into his grace. We can tap into his power, and he fulfills that through us. When we realize our weaknesses, we can look towards his grace. But as long as we're trying to do things in our own efforts, in our own strength, we miss his power. You know, the amazing thing is to abide is to not do anything. I've always seen that when we're all familiar with the abiding, uh, you know, Jesus is divine. We are the branches. He wants us to produce fruit. We have to abide in him. He abides in us. Away from him, we can do what? Nothing, right? And I always viewed that as that abiding is something that I have to do, that I have to pursue, that I have to go after. It's like, if I don't abide and go after him, then he's not going to do his work in me. But when you really look at that abiding, it's really not doing anything. It's a focal point in looking to the right source, but it's not a doing anything in my own efforts. And you really look at it, It's like Jesus says he is divine. 
We are the branches and he wants us to produce fruit. The branch doesn't do anything but take nutrients from the vine that channel it through to produce fruit. So really, we are just a vessel for God to show his glory through as we sit in his grace, as we stand firm in his grace and his power and not try to do things on our own. Isn't there a freedom in that? Isn't there a relief that it's not something I have to, I don't have to pray harder. I don't have to seek harder. I don't have to do all these things, but just sit and stand firm in God's power as he pours it through me and does his sanctifying work. And I think only when we are humbled by realizing how weak we really are, then we can receive the grace God has to offer us, right? The key is to realize that we don't have the strength and to humble ourselves down to that perspective. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will what? He will lift you up. He will exalt you. Our job is we just humble ourselves and realize how weak we really are. That's touching some of y'all's pride in here, isn't it? We don't like to admit how weak we really are, right? Especially us as men. I'm strong. I'm going to pull my bootstraps up and we're going to work through this thing. God's like, no, you're going to wear yourself out. All right, we're going to wear you out until you finally come to the point where you're going to ask for my help. I think when we look at suffering in a believer's life, we can look at it does four things. One, it humbles us. It realizes that we don't have the strength to do it. It humbles us to realize that God's strength is much bigger than ours. The second thing it should do is it should drive us to the Lord. That when we start to realize we don't have that strength, we know the source to go to. And we go and we sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. That same humility that we had when we asked for salvation at the beginning is the same humility we need day in and day out as we walk through things. That same desperation we had in realizing that we are at the ends of ourselves is the same desperation that we have to have. And when we do that, it displays His grace in us and through us. And because of that, it perfects His power in us. Isn't that good news? That God's glory and His grace wants to perfect in us and shine through us. It's important for us to see that God's heart is not to hurt us or to watch us suffer, but it's to help and strengthen our faith. It puts us in a place of worship to Him when we start to see this grace working through our lives. I want us to look back at the two verses we started with. 1 Peter 1 7 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to do what? To result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, when we start to see this grace working through our lives and we start to see His power and we start to realize that we are doing things that we can't do on our own, it puts us in a state of worship and realizing the revelation of Jesus Christ. We start to see Him for who He is. We share in his sufferings and then we share in his glory. We start to see his glory in the midst of these sufferings. And then again, 1 Peter 4, 13, it says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also what rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
We see his glory revealed in the midst of these struggles when we stand firm in his grace. It's in these times that we receive and walk in his grace. This puts us in a state of worship. We begin to know the heart of the Father. We see his heart in the midst of these situations. We see his love and his power being poured into us. We can walk in true freedom away from what self-reliance. See, that's what God sees true freedom as. Not so much comfort, peace, and happiness, but in true lack of self-reliance in our lives when we truly just look towards Him for all of our needs. That is what He wants in our life. And we know that whatever we go through, God wants to lavish His amazing grace in our lives. Look at what Peter says here in verse 10, right before his closing. In chapter 5, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We come out the other end stronger in our faith than the way we went in. I don't know about you, but every time I go through situations, while we're in the midst of it, it's not fun, is it? It's like you're in the desert, you're in the wilderness, you don't understand, it's frustrating, and you're just trying to cling on. But every time after you walk through it and you look back, you're like, oh, that's what God was doing. And, we, you know, how many times do you say, you know, I would never want to do that again, but I wouldn't take it back either because of what God did in me and through me in those situations. You see, that is experiencing God's grace in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our tough situations. You know, I remember most of you know that um, I was in addiction a long time ago, and I remember a lot of weekends when things would just go bad, which was every weekend, and things would just go really bad. And at the end of the weekend, after you were busted, disgusted, and couldn't be trusted, there was no fun in it. And I remember just sitting there and just just feeling like the biggest loser in the world. And you were broke. You had to go back and start facing everything you did the next day. You know, work started the next day, had no gas money, had no money for food, had nothing, right? And just the feeling of that is overwhelming. And it would drive me to the place where every Sunday night I would just sit there and I would swear I am done with this. I am finished. I am not doing that again. And I meant meant it from the bottom of my heart. Everything I had, I was totally disgusted. But something would happen through the week. You start feeling a little better. You get some sleep. You start going back with the people that you hung out with. And again, the next weekend, the same thing would happen over and over and over. And the realization is that we can't do it with strong will. No matter how much willpower we have, whether it's addiction, whether it's walking through trials and tribulation, whatever, it's like we cannot do it on our own. We were not created to do that. And as much good intentions and desire and everything I had to want to change my life, it wasn't going to happen. Until I finally looked towards the right source. And I got to the point where I said, Lord, I don't have the answers. I don't have what it takes. I'm going to need your help in order to do this. And it's like he was just sitting there waiting, right? And he's just like, finally, I've just been waiting for you to look in the right direction. And in that, he just lavishes grace. And I'll be honest with you, this is, this is an honest answer is it was night and day. 
from one day to the other of when I cried out to the Lord, I started seeing things different. I started perceiving things different. I started walking in things different. My decisions were different. Everything was different, not because anything that I did, but because he lavished his grace in my life. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And in that, every situation I go through, it gets a little easier as you walk through things because you say, I know that his grace will sustain and help me through this situation. I know he's going to help me through this next one. And the mountains and the challenges in life become a a little bit easier because we're not relying on ourselves and we don't look to ourselves and say, I ain't got what it takes. But we say, I've got a God that is so good. I know he's got whatever it's going to take to walk through what I need to walk through. Right. So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, there's a beginning that needs to take place. If you just keep going round and round and you just keep making mistakes, your eyes need to be turned to the right thing like we sung about this morning. Your focus needs to go in the right place. And God's grace starts with the grace of salvation. He wants to take you from one place and bring you to another. He wants to lavish his grace in you. He wants a new beginning in your life to where things can begin to happen, not because of you, but because of him, because of his goodness. So I encourage you, if you're here today and you feel like you need this amazing grace in your life, it's offered to you. And I'll be up here if you want to pray. I'll be more than glad to pray with you to start this grace in your life. If you're listening online this morning, please give us a call. Us pastors would love to pray with you and start this journey. It's an amazing journey full of amazing things and seeing God's grace and his power work in your life and just being the vessel and the channel that he works through. Amen. Amen. So I charge all of you today, stand firm in his grace. Sit put and allow God's grace to walk you through whatever he's walking through. Be a channel for him. Allow his fruit to go through you and be produced through what he does, not what we do. So Lord Jesus, we do love you. We thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for your amazing grace. Even though it's so hard to understand, we're so geared to want to do something, to try harder, to be better. Lord, in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. And I pray that we can rest in that. That we can find freedom in just relying on your grace. And as you change our lives and help us to become more like you. And more than that, as, as we glorify you in that changing. So again, I lift up each and every person here. And I pray that you, you walk us through this. Help us to experience your, your goodness and your greatness even in the tough times of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank all of you. You are dismissed.